East Clinton Street in Portland. More information, including start times, special performances, and more, can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO invites you to come hang out with us in the KBOO studios for our first Friday Art Walk event and Give Guide kickoff party. Willamette Weekly's Give Guide handpicked 152 of Portland's most impactful nonprofits to help you do good this giving season. And it all starts November 1st. Making a donation on November 1st will give you a chance to win a $500 Pals shopping spree. If you're under 35, you get two chances to win. That's pretty awesome. Donate through our website at kboo.fm give or in person at our kickoff party. We will be filling our studios with local art, awesome live music, cider, wine, and snacks. So come on out this Friday, 6 to 9 p.m. at the KBOO Studios. See you then. it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world this is will hall and welcome to madness radio i'm your host and our guest today is oryx cohen i'm very excited to have oryx on the show oryx is the acting executive director of the national empowerment center and he's also the co-producer of the new documentary film healing voices so welcome to madness radio oryx cohen thank you will hall Today we're going to be talking about an experience that you had last year where you went into, I don't know what to call it, an, an altered state? A, I mean, a manic state would be the kind of the diagnostic term, or what, what would you call it, an altered state of consciousness? Or Yeah, I, like, I prefer altered state myself. And we don't really hear much about these states from people who've been through them, and I was also one of the supporters. I was at a distance, then came and visited you in the hospital at the end of the whole process. Maybe you want to just to set us up here, give us a little bit of a background on what went on before the experience that happened last year. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I had had a couple other experiences that um, kind of set me on my path to do the work that I do now, uh, which started in 1999. I had my first experience with an altered state and then uh, had another experience in 2002 and it had been quite a while, so this one, this last one, definitely took me by surprise. Um, I think that too often we see these experiences as, at least in our culture, as very black and white, as being negative, and so we don't look at all at the positive side of these experiences. We don't even talk about these experiences. I'm thankful that I did have what I consider spiritual um, experiences. With, with all of my altered states. It can be a scary and overwhelming thing, and so I think that was one of the challenges for me in, in, in both um, experiences, the, the one that happened many years ago and then the one that happened last year. It was a pretty awesome experience, both frightening and um, hopeful, I think. I, I can say, I and mean, we can talk about this a little bit later, but uh, when people say that sometimes psychosis can lead to growth and change and make a positive contribution that you come out of it stronger or healthier or more healed. Personally, Oryx, I've really seen that in you. Um, you seem like you are more solid, stronger, clearer, 
uh, more expressive, freer, more relaxed uh, since your experience last year? Again, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about people who are going through altered states. There's this misconception that you can't connect. It can be hard, but if, if people around the person stay calm and recognize that what they're going through it can be an important experience, um, then that leads to just more opportunities of connection and get beyond their own fear in the situation. So I can speak for myself, we're very sensitive to other people's emotional states, even though we may not seem like it. <laughs> it's because the way that we behave or, or whatever, but we are quite sensitive. And, and so it's important to, while doing that, also keep your boundaries and express when when enough is enough and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I agree that um, this was a big experience for me. And what, what I was going through at the time uh, was a lot of stress involved with organizing a national conference combined with what I now consider some unresolved trauma. Trauma like childhood trauma that you was... Yeah, yeah. my parents divorced when I was five and mm -hmm. I never really dealt with it. I never thought that it affected me a whole lot. Um, I started to have some marital difficulties, um, which I, I think were kind of normal relationship issues. So I started feeling like I needed to get a divorce. Um, and it was a scary feeling. Here's someone I had, you know, been through a lot with was my life partner and we you know two children and just having that thought of maybe it's not going to work out was very scary. And then combined with all the stress I was under at that conference, I started to not sleep a whole lot. That's a recipe for me going in an altered state. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like the altered state was a, a way for me to deal with this unresolved trauma combined with the current situation I was in in a way that I um, wasn't able to deal with at the time in regular reality. What I basically came to was that my wife is my soulmate. So it was a beautiful part of the altered state. So you, so you, you put it so clearly, Oryx. I mean, this is a very powerful mystery of how this comes to pass that we go into these altered states because almost like we need to, that there's a certain kind of healing that needs to happen because they're very real unresolved issues. And it's kind of like you, you said you weren't really dealing with some of the things that had been going on. So you're not dealing with them consciously. So your psyche or your organism or your deeper self kind of forces the issue to make you deal with it. But at the same time, there's sort of like this um, circumstance element. And we could also say, we could almost say it's like a coincidence or a synchronicity that, hey, there's this conference and hey, you're not sleeping and we don't know quite what happened. Why was it that Oryx Cohen, who knows that he has a hard time if he doesn't sleep, why was it that you slipped and said, oh, I'll just start to pull some all-nighters organizing this conference? What was going on with you? I, I do think there's a reason that I went into the altered state because it wasn't the only time in the past 10 years or so before the last time I had had an altered state uh -huh. that I had been in really stressful situations. I mean, anybody who has kids knows that when you have little babies, you're not sleeping a whole lot. And there was other times when I was stressed out and not sleeping all that well. Right. So I just think it all, it all came to a head. I think I 
did push myself even more than usual. So you had been you had been stressed and sleep deprived in the past. So we can't really say that that was the the only ingredient here. That actually maybe that provided, who knows, a, a, an opportunity or an opening or a pathway that yeah. the state could come through. And and when we you know we're talking we're using the word altered state, you know, but a psychiatrist very clearly and later they did diagnose you as a, as a manic psychosis. I mean, this is a very extreme change that you were, your personality was in a completely different place and you were, you were acting and talking in ways that got people around you who were very, very tolerant, open people who were, who have themselves been through these states and themselves been in hospitals and that got us worried for your safety. Um, And one of the things, of course, that we were worried about was that you were going to end up in the hospital. That was part of the fear that we also had was for your safety from the people who would be trying and wanting to help you. Yeah, and I think another misconception is that when you're in this altered state, you have absolutely no control or no responsibility. And I had a lot. I actually had a lot of leadership in what happened. Maybe, maybe too much, but you know, I could have done a lot of things that would have been damaging. And I took a lot of leadership in figuring out how I was going to get home. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is so important what you say, Orcs, because the assumption is that the the person is kind of in this diseased, feverish fugue, and they have it's like they're sleepwalking; they have no control. But actually, you're saying that you did have some c- control, and you did have, you do you were making some choices. And I think that's that's an important thing. I think we're going to come back to in a minute is what what lessons you learned and what kind of directions you'd like to go. And so maybe why don't you tell us the whole story? Yeah, I had not slept for a couple of days. Uh, I was under a lot of stress, and um, what. What happens to me when I go into these altered states is I actually have a seizure. And when I woke up, I was staring into the light in the ballroom. I actually thought I had died. You said um, that this is really connected to spiritual experiences. And if you read an anthropological accounts of shamanism, often it's very connected to epilepsy and seizures so what you're saying is really, really interesting. What happens then? So one of my best friends, she saw me and recognized that I was looking confused and helped me to get back to my hotel room. There was a few, a team of people that, that kind of w- were with me. Yeah, I was going through all kinds of intense visions and journeys. And, and a big part of this, again, was um, kind of journeying through space and time, trying to figure out my relationship with my wife. Um, there were times that I would kind of blurt things out that came to me that maybe were reflective of how people around me were feeling. Like, um, I would say, there's nothing to fear except fear itself. I also, I was having a lot of spiritual experiences. Um, so one thing that I would do is like a holy trinity, and I'm not, I'm not like Christian or anything. If I had, we had three people in the room, you know, the three of us would all hold hands and like go through this religious experience. Apparently, it was very powerful for every. It was powerful for me and it was powerful for everybody involved in the experience. And so, a lot of the people around you were were afraid. I guess a big part of it was kind of the authorities getting alerted and this makeshift sanctuary in a hotel room getting getting busted and you ending up in the hospital. What were the, some of the things that you did? that you think were maybe perceived as dangerous or perceived as scary. The time that I wandered out of the hotel room, 
not scare people. What did you do or what was scary about that? Um, I think people were scared because we were on the 12th floor. Like, so if I, there's like a balcony there or something. There's a balcony. Yeah. Yeah. Had you, had you done anything that was dangerous? Did you climb up on a balcony or did you start to talk about jumping or, or was it just people's own fears of that balcony being there? Yeah, I think it was people's own fears, but I also think that it's good with someone in a state like that to be somewhat protective. But at the time, you 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 recognize that people were trying to be helpful or trying to protect you, and so you oh, did, yeah. you didn't argue with them or fight them or something or no, I might have even apologized. I, I I hope I did. What do you think was the hardest part of this for your supporters? I think the hardest part is the amount of energy it takes to support someone in an altered state because here's someone who used to being totally different and now they're going through this thing and if you want to connect then you got to be really curious about what they're going through and and to be curious you, you need to listen and try to connect and be with them as best you can while holding your own boundaries and that can be really challenging for someone who's not used to doing that. So it sounds like the the hotel staff never really figured out what was going on, that you were pretty much hidden away there in, in the hotel room. There was there was a time in Mississippi, once we got on the road. Right, because you all we, climbed into a car to drive across yeah, country. Yeah. Again, not the ideal place to be in an altered state, cooped up in the back of a minivan on the road, but... <laughs> There was and there, so there was a time on the road trip where I yelled some I just screamed in a hotel room and one of the people basically looked me right in the eye and said if you don't be quiet the police are going to come and take you away and so I took that in and I stopped <laughs> yeah. so another example of you taking care of yourself and the importance of your supporters really reaching across that gap between this reality and the other reality to, to connect with you. Yeah, definitely. And then what happened? Well, one one kind of side note for the trip is that um, another example of how, you know, these states are not just black and white is that I was actually able to interact the best when we went out to eat. <laughs> oh. So like we would go to these public restaurants and I would help pick them up, pick out the restaurants using Yelp. And then like, once we went to the restaurants, I was like, fine. I'd have regular conversations. <laughs> um, really? So was that, was that you kind of knowing that you were in public and needed to kind of hold it together? Yeah, I think so. And I also really like going out to eat. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have to, I mean, I have to say, because I, I also, I spend a lot of time with people in altered States and I'm always surprised. I mean, people who seem like they're the most, out of it, you know, the police show up and then boom, they're, they got it together or they end up in the hospital and they just hold it together and act normal. Then they get back home and it all just unravels again. So it's interesting the role of kind of choice or personal intention in, in a lot of this, that the person is actually in more control than we often think. It's just that we haven't got kind of access to communicating with them in a way that we're familiar with. Was there any, any danger where people, the people ever feel like you were in danger? Well, there was one time that we stopped at a rest stop and I thought that I needed to go to the other side of this fence, mm-hmm. which there was a highway on the other side of the fence. So I start, I like took one step up the fence and then people like stopped me. Again, this, this idea of connection and whatnot, I was, 
it kind of snapped me out of whatever state I was in, and I was like, oh, sorry. So, so, you, <laughs> so do you feel like you were in danger at that moment, that that wasn't the right thing to do? It's not the best thing to do, but I, I think they were afraid I was going to walk into traffic, but that yeah. wasn't what I so again, it's like it comes back to that mantra you repeat, and there's nothing to fear but fear itself. The people around you were more afraid than you were. It's very powerful to see this taking place among people who are very familiar with these states, who have themselves been through them, because it's so primal, it's so deep, it's so powerful. You you can't really understand it until you're in the presence of someone who's in an altered state. And if there's someone that you know and are familiar with, it really shakes you up. So you, so you arrive yeah. in Massachusetts, and then what happens? Everybody had to go their separate ways. But I ended up home, and then I don't think I anticipated how difficult that would be to go from a situation where I was kind of the center of attention and I had people supporting me to, to my house where now I had to be a, a husband and a father. It was a tough transition. Okay, so you, so now you're in, you're not in quite the same supportive holding context and then what happened well actually the first night home i i slept quite a bit i think i could have been on the road to coming out of this i just wasn't quite ready to be home yet things just kind of spiraled out of control again and i didn't sleep well and is it, is it fair to say that just the maybe just the stresses of being back in a family your your family with your wife and your kids that just added a certain kind of pressure that contributed to things is that fair to say yeah you kind of weren't ready yet you weren't really ready to come back to that context oh, and people and you know people were afraid of how how i was behaving how is that going to affect the kids and that oh, yeah. you know that fear kind of probably yeah. made things worse and so things just kind of spiraled out of control because there was this you know this fear around how i was affecting the children i think so that led to me to have some sort of support at a, a kind of a makeshift peer respite because there was no openings at a peer respite. Yeah, that's that's an important part of the story because this is why we need the resources devoted to alternatives and peer respite so when people are in need, they aren't just turned away like you were. I ended up at one of the worst hospitals in, uh, in Massachusetts. So how did that happen? Uh, a group of people brought me over to this uh, place that was, again, like going to attempt to be a makeshift peer respite, but they weren't equipped to be to be with someone going through what I was going through. And so uh, that didn't last very long. Lasted, I don't know, half hour or something, and then called the authorities and said I needed to be hospitalized. And so at that point, the police come and uh, ambulance comes and... Um, and that was totally unnecessary as far as your concern and, and also looking back on it. I think it's unnecessary if you have enough resources. Yeah, I wasn't dangerous or I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't commit any crimes or anything. I was just very difficult to be around. And so then, then what happened? So that really, for better or worse, it kind of woke me up like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble here. Yeah, the, police and, will do, the police will do that too, yeah. And uh, I better get my stuff together. That combined with being zonked with some powerful drugs like Haldol helped force me into consensus reality. How did, how did it do that exactly? Was it the sleep piece or what, what, what do you think? Or was it just the kind of the 
tranquilizing your wild mind and sort of shutting everything down and putting a clamp on it? I don't know exactly because I had gotten some really good sleep and that week I had been taking some minimal medication to help me sleep too. Yeah. So I don't think there's any like magic about a hospital. Right. You know, you can take a ton of medication at home and do a similar thing to yourself. But yeah, because it, it, seem, it seemed to me like what, what happened was that you went from the altered state that you were in then into the milder altered state maybe of being on meds. Because when I saw you, when you got out of the hospital, you, you like you said, you were zonked on you were zonked on meds. You were more docile and cooperative. You weren't like talking in a confusing way. You weren't like moving around. But you were you were in an altered state from the meds in a sense. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't like an immediate thing. There was I was still having some very interesting experiences in the hospital. I was still putting all kinds of connections together and things like that. And and actually those types of experiences, those kind of synchronicities, the way I see it as connection with more of a spiritual world, mm-hmm. I've I've still had a lot of those in the past 2 years, which has been really awesome actually because I haven't had to go into a complete altered state to have those. Let's talk about that. I mean, we talked in the beginning about how there were some ways in which this was positive and it helped you to engage with or confront some of the things that you weren't engaging with around your your marriage, your family, and then your, your childhood history. So how, how did this experience kind of get integrated? What was it that you did with it and how did it benefit you once you finally get out of the hospital? I, I think feeling more comfortable in my marriage uh, has helped me and has helped my wife and has how helped did it make you children. How did it make you more comfortable in your marriage though? Well, having this pretty intense spiritual journey where I oh. discovered that she was soulmate definitely helped. And also we actually um we went through some uh open dialogue. Yeah, I remember being part being part of that. Yeah, and open dialogue is one of the most successful approaches in the world. And we do have some open dialogue therapy available in the US. And so we went to a couple sessions and uh got a lot out of it. Um so you were able to talk about some issues in your marriage that you hadn't talked about. Yeah. And and also did how did you sort of benefit from addressing some of the childhood issues with your your the divorce of your parents or was it all connected with the um you know your daughter reaching the age that you were when the divorce happened? I just think it helped me heal a bit from that and to recognize that it did impact me because sometimes we don't want to talk about our trauma so that was healing and it also led to me um, having some healing conversations with my mom and reaching out to her and and setting up like a specific time to talk about some stuff that happened in childhood and that was really good for both of us incredible so you so you kind of leave this reality and then you come back and now you're actually closer to the two most or two of the most important people in your life yeah and like I said in the beginning, I mean, I've, I've noticed real changes in you. I mean, you seem more confident, freer, more expressive, more relaxed. Is that, are you noticing that in the, past, in the year since you came out of that altered state? I feel like I do have more of a connection, understanding of how the universe works based on having these altered states. I think that we do have an intelligent universe and that we're all an integral 
part of it and part of what maybe even leads to these altered states is this sense that we're disconnected from everything and, and in fact we're in fact we're connected we're connected with everything and also going through these states you kind of realize that it's more complicated than just this physical reality that we share yeah um, there's more there's more going on in the universe along those lines i mean you, you said before that you did feel that you wanted people to hold you a little bit more accountable because what i've what i've noticed is that people who are in the mental patient role are so controlled and not listened to and disregarded and discounted that when we when we want to help them in a different way we almost go too far in the opposite direction we kind of want to put them in the driver's seat and then we forget as helpers we forget our own boundaries our own needs we don't speak up we're like wow this person's in a very sacred journey i can't tell them i need a break now you know i've got to stay with them for this yeah. sacred journey and what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that people should have been more um, speaking up about holding you accountable about how you were treating the people around you? Yeah, I do think that would have been helpful for everybody if people did stand up a bit more. Well, what's an example of that? Well, I mean, I can only think of the kind of the examples of when people did stand up and I was able to listen and take it in. You know, I think people overall were just getting really tired and but also just i mean that that stuff was really minor yeah i think because the the journey itself was a huge was a huge success i was thinking that i mean it's an extraordinary uh, it's an extraordinary thing that people accomplished to get you out of texas get you back to massachusetts you come through i mean yes there's this sort of detour into the hospital but ultimately you came out of the hospital you slowly get off those medications and now you're stronger than ever that's right, and you came out all the way from Costa Rica to get me out of the hospital, bust me out. I did. You owe me one, man. <laughs> well, listen, I, we we don't have much more time um, on the show, and I just wanted to ask you: are there any are there any kind of big lessons that you would want to share with the listeners that that you came out of this? I mean, I know that you already had a lot of knowledge and personal experience these states that get called mania or psychosis before you went in, but what was it that you kind of learn that you might want to share with other people who may be listening right now? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't give a big shout out to uh, the AFIA Peer Respite yeah. in Northampton, Massachusetts. Yeah, they really took you uh, in and helped you out. They took me in after the hospital um, and were a big part of my my healing. I remember, I remember visiting Afia. Wonderful, wonderful place. I mean, that's a place I would want to go if I was if I was out of it and needed a space, you know? Yeah, it was. It's the real deal. But uh, one one thing that I didn't mention that was an, uh, another lesson was that I think I now I now realize that I don't have to go through these altered states to ah. deal with trauma. I can. You know, I still I'm still having these spiritual connections all the time, and I can deal with my trauma without having to go through an altered state. That's been also kind of freeing. That is extraordinary. I mean, just to, for people who are a little confused, what we were saying about Afia, A-F-I-Y-A, is the name of the peer respite in uh, Massachusetts. And what you just said is 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 very extraordinary because I, I think a lot of the people who write about shamanism and the traditional accounts of the initiation of medicine people, that they're at first thrown into some kind of initiation crisis that launches them into other realms. And then part of the learning is how to do it consciously and intentionally so they don't have to be just grabbed and then taken away but they have some kind of power over it so it sounds like there's a real parallel i always thought this about you you know from from your 
one of your past experiences, you were in a car accident when you were in an altered state and it created a little scar on your forehead. And I always think of that as like your Harry Potter scar that you have this, you have this real destiny as a, as a magician. I kind of think of it as a separation between two worlds. Two worlds don't need to be separate. Maybe they don't need to be so separate. Yeah. Maybe the problem is that they've been too separate in our civilization. Well, Oryx Cohen, thank you so much for joining us on Madness Radio. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to an interview with Oryx Cohen. He's the acting executive director of the National Empowerment Center, and he's the co-producer of the Healing Voices film. Oryx, do you want to, before we sign off, do you want to just say a few words about Healing Voices and how people can find out more about it? Healing Voices is a film basically about the issues that we're talking about on this show. It features three different characters. I'm one of the characters. I'm also one of the producers. Uh, directed by PJ Moynihan and you can find out more information by going to www.healingvoicesmovie.com All right, thank you Oryx Cohen for joining us on Madness Radio that's all the time we have this week thanks for tuning in You are listening to KBOO Portland. That was Madness Radio with host Will Hall. KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO member listeners and support from Darkside Cinema, open every night and featuring independent foreign and art house films. The Dark Side is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street between Madison and Jefferson Avenues in Corvallis, Oregon. More information and showtimes available online at darksidecinema.com. Coming up at 10.30, we have Film at 11 with KBOO's Doug Holm. It's film at 11 at 10.30 on Friday. I'm DK Home, and I'm the uh, host today. Mona is on a brief vacation, a respite, and so I'm here with uh, Joseph Witt, who is the owner of Belmont Books on about 34th and Southeast Belmont. We're going to talk about books and movies and things, and also an event uh, which he was involved, which was a showing of Mandy at the Clinton Street Theater on uh, Thursday night. Uh, no, excuse me, Wednesday night, the night before. Last night. Before. Oh, no. uh, Wednesday night. The night before Halloween, yeah. Don't let me misinfluence you. No, yeah. Um, but there's just a little bit of time to go over some of the movies that are opening this week. Um, they are, uh, one of the big movies opening today is, of course, Terminator. Um, Dark. Dark Fate, <laughs> and um, uh, it's, uh, I've seen it, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, also opening is, um, excuse me, and also opening is Harriet, uh, although I think that's probably next week here, along with The uh, Irishman, um, and meanwhile on uh, Netflix is uh, 
Dolomite is my name. Uh, do you know anything about the Dolomite? Uh, the the Dolomite movies? Yes. From the 70s? Oh, yeah. Oh, and Rudy oh, Ray Moore. Mm-hmm. Rudy Ray Moore, Dolomite. 